Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. I'm an MBA candidate at the Wharton School and an MA candidate at the Lauder Institute at the University of Pennsylvania. Our guest today is Brad Patterson, CEO of Splitit, a global payments platform that enables shoppers to pay installments via their credit cards by splitting credit card purchases into interest and fee-free monthly payments. Brad is a seasoned fintech leader with nearly two decades of experience, having worked at some of the world's most successful payment companies, including Intuit, PayPal, and Visa. He is from Australia and graduated from the University of Newcastle in New South Wales. And now, without further ado, let's jump in to my conversation with Brad Patterson. All right, Brad, thank you for joining us at the Wharton FinTech Podcast. Can we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. So I'm Brad Patterson. I'm the CEO at Splitit. I've been in payments and FinTech for over 20 years, initiating my career at Visa in the payment space. Then I was at PayPal in the very early days. I spent seven years at PayPal, including starting their Asia-Pacific business and helping open in numerous countries. Then moved to Intuit who most of us better know as QuickBooks or TurboTax, where I spent six years there leading their Asia-Pacific business and then more recently their US business with QuickBooks Online. So a lot of time in fintech, various different industries and different disciplines, but it's been an exciting, exciting time. Fantastic. And, and so you, you've been on, on the industry probably longer than most people. What drove you specifically to join Splitted? I get asked that a lot. Uh, it's a combination of two things, the people and the opportunity. And the opportunity is a broad explanation, but I, it's really about the product being, oh, the benefit delivered to customers was powerful, is what I mean by opportunity. So the people, there is somebody uh, on, who's an advisor to the board who was part of my early career at PayPal and then early other, state, uh, early other roles. He told me about the company and the opportunity to join. Uh, and so that carries a lot of weight. I think the people you trust and having that close network made it was very important, especially in these, the fintech circles. It's once you're inside there, a lot of people surface around in different companies that are all in, in fintech. That was very important. But the thing that really hooked me was I saw this had the potential to be the next PayPal. And what I mean by that is what made PayPal very powerful was it delivered important benefits to two consumers, to two, two customers on either side of the network, to merchants that allowed them to accept credit cards that never could, or it allowed you to accept bank payments through the wallet. So it allowed merchants to do things they could never do before because evidence is PayPal blowing up on e uh, eBay. Individual sellers would never have been allowed to accept credit cards back then. So they provide a really powerful benefit to the consumer. It was pay safely. It was pay that back then online security was a heightened concern and people weren't shopping online because of security concerns. PayPal solved that problem. I see something very similar with Splitter. I think we solved two really important problems in the market today. For online retailers, their biggest opportunities remained conversion, shopping cart conversion. And the biggest driver of that is price. Installment payments, and split it, solve that by allowing you to reduce the cost of that and breaking that into equal number of installments. Split it, what we do is we allow and enable installments on credit cards. So anybody with a credit card can make that installment payment today by splitting that purchase and paying over time. And it's very important we build credit scores and good FICO scores. 
So we enabled merchants to convert more people by reducing the impact of price. On the consumer side, we're allowing you really a budgeting tool and a way to make the purchases you need to make today with much less cash impact while still managing your credit responsibly and building your FICO score. So two very powerful benefits. We're seeing that in terms of traction and I thought this is something I had to be part of. Makes a lot of sense. And how about internally? Uh, you, you spent some time at PayPal. Do you see any parallels internally with the culture and, and the growth that you're experiencing? Yes, uh, rapid, rapid experimentation and learning is, is something that's very similar. A very passionate team that's focused on the customer uh, is something else that's similar. And re relentless focus on the core problems. So where we are not at our best is where we're trying to do things outside of our core uh, competency and outside of what we know we do well, which is solving those two problems. When we're relentlessly focused on those, we're unbeatable. And I saw something very similar at PayPal. The minute we went outside of the sphere of what we were great at and competence at, we had mixed success and it was often distracting. When we focused, it was very hard for anybody to, to be as impactful as we were. That's fantastic. And uh, where did the idea for uh, Split come from? Take us through the evolution of the company. Mm, sure. So Split It was founded in Israel by, by two co-founders, Alon, Alon Fate and Gil Don. And in Israel, paying in installments or splitting the transaction into multiple installments is the norm. At the point of sale where there's only a couple of banks servicing that market, you can have different terminals on the counter And depending on the card you use, it's what they call an on-us transaction between the same bank who generally manage that for you. Doing that globally was less regular, except for maybe in Brazil, Indonesia, et cetera, some markets that were enabling that, again, in the on-us environment. Doing it in e-commerce just didn't exist. So they thought through, how do we use the payments technology that exists today, make that agnostic, so work on any card, on any terminal or any website, And they created technology, which formed our patent and our IP, which is using the payment system authorization uh, messaging to create something quite unique to allow anybody to use that around the world. Got it. And so obviously you have your customers on one side, but I'm assuming you also partner with payment providers or you probably partner with banks. Who would you say are your main business partners and how is that relationship? For split it. Sure. We have, I'd say we have two types of partners. The payments infrastructure, so Visa, MasterCard, at an infrastructure level, payment gateways and or banks in terms of they maintain the relationship with the consumer and the, and the merchant in terms of processing payments and the instruments of cards. So that's more payments infrastructure, critical to what we do. Luckily, Visa and MasterCard and other networks provide a great gateway into there or entry into there and we work with people to support that. The other nature is e-commerce or commerce platforms, Shopify, Magento, similar companies that are providing the commerce platform to merchants. They're managing the shopping cart conversion. They're managing the experience. So us being deeply integrated into that technology and helping educate those customers is, is highly important there as well. I liken us to a, we're actually a, pay, we're actually a, a conversion company. We're helping businesses convert customers. We do that through payments technology. 
So it's important where it's deeply integrated into the commerce platforms that influence the user experience is what it is, the payments network. Got it. Do you have any relationship with banks? Yes, not official partnerships, but we work closely with a number of banks that are also payment gateways. And we're, we talk to and we're working with a number of banks on the issuing side, those who issue cards to people as well. Got it. And, and here, help us understand, you're not taking any credit risk, are you? Mm-hmm. No, we're not. No. Got it. So that, that falls on the bank. So have you had any discussions around maybe extending the tenor of the credit that the banks are issuing? Maybe that's not the ideal scenario for banks. Yeah, to get back to your question before, we one of the reasons I joined and one of the reasons the company was founded is not to put new debt into society. There are people that do that well, and most of those are banks that make great decisions on who, how much credit you can have at the right time and helping you manage that. We're never going to do that better than somebody else. So I think that's, and that's a tenant, we won't issue new credit. So I think in terms of extending credit, no. What we do help banks with is we help extend the utility of those cards by making this available everywhere. We can then help them with the economics of those deals, whether that is how can they participate in those transactions through the economics of that in the payment system, or they may see they may have better insight into how their customers are spending and may decide this customer's actually paying in installments and paying it regularly, we should give them a larger credit line. Or we see this customer's not, we can actually maybe uh, adjust that in the short term while they get back on top of their finances. So I think data sharing between banks we can improve on is an opportunity, but by default, we're there to complement what they do. Okay, that makes that makes sense. Well, you know, we are experiencing some unprecedented times right now. On, on one end, there's a decrease in consumer spending, but on the other end, reportedly, there's a, an uptick actually for services like yours, right? For um, buy now, pay later services. How have you navigated this, this environment? I actually have spoken to a lot of people about this recently. I think it's quite a pertinent question. Reality is both true and how are we navigating that is there is a shift to e-commerce. So the macro consumers are spending less, I think, on extravagant or luxurious spend. I'm probably not spending as much on fashion because I can't go to bars or can't go out. I'm spending less on items that I can't do right now. I'm spending more on items to invest in me and my family and my household. So we're seeing an increase in spending homewares, personal health, personal fitness, things around the home or around me to invest in me and my house and my connectivity um, with all those items. So we're seeing an increase in spend there. Now, if I've lost my job or my finances have been impacted, I'm not spending as much. I'm probably spending it more for food, et cetera. But if I'm not impacted, and a lot of folks are not, they're probably spending less, but they're spending more online and they're looking for more flexible ways to make that purchase. People, cash is king right now. And by cash, I mean what is in my bank. So there are some buy now, pay later providers, which will, they'll extend you short-term credit and then use your bank to pay that off quickly. I think the difference that Splitter provides is we use your existing instrument, which is a credit card, you pay that off as you would your credit card normally over time anyway. Yeah, so it gives you longer period of time to manage that, gives you a greater budgeting flexibility, but you don't have to worry about applying for new credit and the impact on that as well. So we're seeing, our, we've just experienced our fastest month of growth ever. April, we grew wow. at a record level. I don't expect that to slow down anytime soon. 
Uh, there's a spike in demand from consumers, but also from businesses that are looking to get into installment payments. So I think we as an industry, it is our time to provide a real service to consumers and merchants. And as such, we're seeing growth. Those focused more on e-commerce and more on those verticals I spoke about are probably seeing a greater propensity of growth than those that are not. So no doubt you're getting a lot of new customers. How about your repeat customers? Do you track both categories and then how have you seen them perform? We're seeing more repeat customers. We report repeat usage. So if I look at what, what metrics do we report to the street, we report three types. Volume, how much volume we're processing, and that's the most important, I think, in any fintech or, or payments businesses is volume first, then the number of customers you have that's driving that volume, and then the behavior of those customers. So we look at repeat usage in the behavioral category. Uh, it's probably the third most important of those categories because I think that's longer term to get the flywheel moving. Repeat, so to answer your question, return customers are increasing faster than ever before. As a percentage of total customers, it is flat to declining slightly because we're actually seeing more new customers come into the system, if that makes sense. So the denominator is growing faster than the numerator, but they're they're both accelerating in growth. So that bodes well for us longer term, and that's why I don't focus on that number too much now. It's more something I look at in the rearview mirror. Are we, are, we, are we okay here? Are we steady? Yes. Good. We can improve that over time. Yeah. Yeah. And so you you have a, a special, pretty unique situation for the fintech industry, which is that you're actually publicly listed and mm-hmm. you're publicly listed in the Australian Stock Exchange. Can you take us through uh, the decision on, on why to list uh, and then how has that materialized for the company over time? Sure. It's, it was slightly before my time, so I can't speak with first-hand experience. I can tell you from my understanding of the decision-making process there. One of the pioneers in the industry is Afterpay. They've done a fantastic job in a category that is very different to ours in terms of who they focus on. Um, an Australian company, actually a lot of ex-PayPal Australia people, they're working at Afterpay. Fantastic job. They provide a great service. Very well known. Australia is a pioneer in terms of buy now, pay later. Because of them, a number of competitors to Afterpay and peers in the industry have since been born there or have targeted that market given its advancement. From an investor perspective, the investors there are also quite advanced as well. They understand the space. Uh, the, the willingness to invest, both at a retail investor and institutional investor, is much higher, which made the barriers to raising funds much lower to do so in Australia than elsewhere, and to do so publicly versus, say, private venture in, in, in the States, also a little easier as well. So I think it was a matter of let's be where our, our peers are, let's be where the industry is innovating and investors are, are, are understanding and the, the ability to raise capital will probably be easier there than it would be elsewhere in the short term. That presents unique challenges. Being a, a small company that is public, I think it helps us grow up quickly, but it also adds a lot of overhead to the business. I think it actually helps us be better. It helps us operate like an enterprise or a larger company, but it's smaller, so we build Riga, which will help us scale in the future. Great, very interesting. And and so what's uh, what's next for Splitted? How do you envision the future for the company? We're in the early days. We really are. I see us being accepted at every website where you're, it makes sense to split the transaction with a credit card. And by that, I mean probably an average order value of $200 or more. You shouldn't see us on a, a website that's selling goods for $20. 
Afterpay do that incredibly well. Others do that well. That's them. You'll see us on websites that target there in those verticals I spoke about. I can see us in the future making a move into B2B payments, allowing small businesses to be paid in a faster way, more effective way, and to make payments in a more effective and faster way using credit cards that they have, business cards. I would not, we will make a larger push into in-store payments, yeah, but we will do that through partnerships, I suspect, whether it's somebody like Point from Point of Sale System, Square or, or similar, Clover, et cetera. Uh, and I would expect to see us, we will never issue credit or financial products to consumers, but I think there is a lot there that we can do to engage them, to help them think through how they can make purchases more effectively. So I expect to see more, do more with consumers in the future too. Got it. And and sounds like you also will be expanding to international markets. We will. We're we're available in. We have customers in over 70 countries, consumers. We have merchants in over 30 countries, but we're focused on four. And I think in terms of go back to the question of success, success is focus. So we're focused on four. As we win in those markets, we'll expand to others. Right. What are these four? The US, UK, Canada, and Australia is where we have. And by that, I mean that's where we have people offices and where we invest most of our money on the ground. There are parts of Europe which are very interesting and there are parts of Asia which we're being dragged into faster than we expected. So I think in the next 12 months, you should expect to see us in, in parts of Asia and possibly Europe as well. Perfect. Now, we have a lot of leaders and fintech operators who listen to our podcast. And you know, from your point of view, you have actually navigated some past crisis within the industry. Do you have any advice or any reflections that you could share? I do, actually. Um, it's, the first is, this is unprecedented. We don't have the answers, and that's okay. I remember when we, when we went through the, the dot-com crash in the early 2000s, when I was, at, I was at Visa at the time, that was unprecedented. Right? The risk exposure, what would happen with e-commerce, people said, so that's it, people won't shop online. We didn't know what we didn't know. Very similar in the global financial crisis. And it's very similar now. We don't know what we don't know. We don't know what the future is and that's okay. So one piece of advice is to listen. Ask questions of peers. I think industry groups are very important. Uh, community groups like this are very important to hear what people are going through because bringing all the, the, the data in, data points in from external is very important. There's a great book by Nate Silver about the signal and the noise. Our job as a leader is to figure out what the signal is. Right? You have all that data there, all that information. What's the trend? Identifying the trend is the most important thing. You can't do that if you're not listening. So listen, identify the signals or the trends. I think be very honest with your team. We be very clear that here's what we don't know. Be very clear on what your values are. I think if you fall back on your values, and narrow focus on your mission. We, we exist to do this one thing and do it really well. Now is not the time probably to be testing new things. That said, if you have been impacted, you know, people impacted, Uber was born in 2008, 2009 by people impacted by the, the global financial crisis. I could go on and on about the number of startups born during times of crisis. I expect we will look back on this time and the, the innovation that happens from people forced to, to, to innovate because of constraints will be enormous. So keep an eye on that as well. Keep an eye on the signals of what's happening that comes out of this crisis. And it may happen faster than before, given the technology available and that the constraints are, are much larger than before. Great. Thank you. 
And, and so we usually like to ask towards the end of our interviews about a little bit of your personal side, maybe uh, talk a bit about your hobbies outside of work. So I have a six-year-old boy. We started late. I'm Australian, if you couldn't tell. So we're, we're, we used to love to travel, travel as a young family. Well, he is young um, and show him the world. That has changed a little, so we're doing a lot of that from home now and virtually, which is great. So travel was a hobby, whether it's domestically here in the US or internationally. Personally, I love sports. I love everything that sports brings from a team perspective, from a leadership perspective. So you'll often find me involved in some level of sport and outdoor activity or learning from sports there as well. And between family and sports, there's not a lot of time for, for anything else, but it's I have learned in my career over time is if I don't prioritize those two things, the professional side suffers. So making sure I have time set aside for both of those things is, is really important. But times are different. I think my hobbies now are very different than they were two months ago. Yeah, I have to say, I think I haven't had a trip where I wouldn't cross paths with someone from Australia. You guys certainly like to travel. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> I think I bump into... Australians in nearly every single city I go to around the world. It's quite bizarre. Fantastic. Well, Brad, thank you again for joining us. And, you know, we look forward to having you around campus. You're always welcome. I would love that. Great to talk to you, Miguel. Thank you.